You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. In the late 1870s, Thomas Edison looked to redefine lighting. So up until that point, this is how we lit things, right? Fire. Fireplaces. Oil lamps. Possibly even, I think somewhere in the late 1860s, gas lamps were invented. But all of it used fire. Fire was an amazing discovery. But look how little light it sheds off. It's very dim. It lights almost only what's directly in front of it. But in 1880, Thomas Edison looked to redefine lighting, and he patented the very first light bulb. This light shines a lot brighter, doesn't it? You can see a lot more around it. The people in houses can all of a sudden stay up later. We can read books later into the night. Our kids can sneak out of bed and not be in the dark, right? This is what lights allow us to do. Thomas came and redefined lighting for us. This season that we are now entering in, and as we walk through this Gospel of Luke and this series, we're talking about shining, and we're unpacking how Jesus has come to shine a light into the dark places. And what I love about this series is that as we're walking through this Gospel of Luke, what we'll see time and time again is that as Jesus came to shine a light in the world, he came into people through his Spirit. And as he comes into us, he then calls us to be that same light. And just like Thomas Edison redefined the light bulb and light, Jesus comes and he redefines your life. And the title of my sermon today is Jesus Redefines. If you're taking notes with us this morning, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, Jesus Redefines defines, again, if you're taking notes, title of my sermon. So what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of pick up, if, if you're new with us, what we've been doing is we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke for about 39 weeks now, and we are now in chapter 9, and so I want to kind of do a quick catch-up as we begin to unpack the text for today. So Jesus has obviously come as a child. He's lived a life. Uh, his ministry has now begun. He has gone out and done amazing miracles, and he has healed people. He has raised people from the dead. And at this point in history, what has happened is Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And so that is the context of where we are. In this moment where Peter looks at Jesus and says, you are the Christ. And I don't want us to forget that context because it's very important. And we're actually going to go back to a couple of verses just prior to our text here in just a second. But let's start off again. Thank you, Landon, for reading it. We're going to walk through it again. Verse 18. It says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others said, Elijah, a well-known prophet. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Now what I want you to note from those three verses, and we're actually going to continue reading in just a moment to a few verses past that, 
is what I want you to notice is some of the similar language that these disciples kind of regurgitate back to Jesus when he says, who, who do the crowds say that I am? If you were here a few weeks ago, we noticed the passage where Herod, the Tetrarch, who's kind of like the mayor over this place, had a very similar moment. He hears about all these things that Jesus are, is doing, and people come to him and they go, who, who is this Jesus guy? And Herod has some similar sayings about, here's who I think Jesus is. Flip back a few verses with me. In verse 7, chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. This is John the Baptist. By some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. What you see in this moment when you look at these texts is you see Luke putting on display that there is some great confusion about who this person Jesus is. Now I want you to think about this idea of confusion and ask yourself this question. Do you think that there is confusion about who Jesus is today? Do you think that people have a misunderstanding about who Jesus really is? Recent report from Springtime Research Institute said that 55% of Gen Z people, these are people who are between 18 and 25, claim to have spirituality but not be religious. One of the quotes from this report says that young people do not care about religion. So when they hear a specific name like Jesus, what thoughts do you think might come to the next generation's mind? Is it spirituality? Is it religion? I think it would probably point to religion, and I think if you were to quiz these Gen Z folks, and maybe even some of us in the room, we somehow tend to separate being spiritual and being religious. There's a definition that's broken. There's something here in the middle of our system that we have somehow become confused about because the, the point of religion is to bring you to what? Spirituality. And spirituality isn't just being one with nature. Jesus is going to give us a very clear definition here in just a moment of what it means to be spiritual, what it means to be religious, and what it means to, to have an understanding of God and, and following a God. And I think if, if, we're, if we're very specific and we lean into this idea of do we think that there's some, some confusion about Jesus, I think what we're going to get to the bottom of is that I believe that some people see that there are doctrinal and fundamental views about Jesus, about God, that somehow hinder our relationship with said God. They look at doctrine as a negative thing or sound theology as something that gets in the way between this relationship with God. Because it's not about religion, it's about relationship. Pastors have said it. I've even said those same words at times. And it is about relationship. Do not get me wrong. You have a God who came, Emmanuel, to dwell among us and to have a relationship with you. But when you have a relationship with someone, don't you then also then 
know them? Don't you know things about them? Don't you understand their character? And that is where this idea of religion and understanding and doctrine come into play. See, doctrine has come to define. And I think we have a misunderstanding of what doctrine and theology is. Because good doctrine reveals God's nature to people. And maybe you're going, okay, what is doctrine? What is theology? Well, let me unpack that for you really quickly. Doctrine in its simplest form is teaching or instruction. The Bible tells us to have sound doctrine and that the Scripture itself gives us exactly that. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. It says, Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's important for us to understand and to know who Jesus says He is. And these first three verses that we've read today kind of open the book for what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to redefine to these disciples and to you and I both who He is and who we are meant to be. Because what is going on in this moment in history in Luke chapter 9 is Jesus has done a lot of really good works There's been miracles happened. There's been healings happened. There's been people raised from death to life. There's been people fed. There's been teachings in abundance. And yet there are still people, maybe even his disciples, who are going, I'm not quite sure who you are. And my hope that at the end of today is that when we get through these verses, you and I can leave with confidence in this place to know first and foremost who Jesus is. But I think the second part of that is who is Jesus to you and what does that do for your life? So the first thing that Jesus is going to do through good doctrine and theology, what he's going to show us, is Jesus is going to redefine what the Messiah is is. Let's flip down to the next verse, verse 21. So he asks Peter who he is. He replies, the Christ of God. And then this next verse happens. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Now, we need to kind of understand why Jesus is being very explicit here. And if you have been in the Bible or maybe the Old Testament a good amount, what you would notice is that a large percentage of Jews would have been expecting this Messiah to kind of come in a similar fashion to one of their former kings, David kind of come in a victorious reign, so to speak. They were expecting this Messiah to come and free them from Roman bondage, from any other bondage of this world. They were expecting a general to walk down on this earth, not come in the form of a humble baby, 
you know, to have to be raised and go through puberty and have all those awkwardness, right? They were, they were hoping and they were really had their thoughts that this Messiah was going to come down with an iron fist. And yet Jesus comes and proclaims to these disciples, hey, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Christ, I'm coming to be slaughtered. He's redefining for them what it looks like for the Messiah. He wasn't coming to command an army. He was coming to be slaughtered like the lambs of the Old Testament. He redefined what the Savior looks like. It was no longer someone coming from this, to free them from this physical bondage of Rome or other nations, but to free them from spiritual bondage. If you've been watching sports at all recently, you've likely seen a a uh, marketing campaign called He Gets Us. Landon did the arm thing earlier, so let's see. Has anybody seen the He Gets Us? Raise your hand. Okay, so these He Gets Us marketing campaigns are commercials. Uh, I don't know who they're funded by, backed by. I'm not supporting them. I'm just talking about them, right? And basically what they look to do is they look to paint a picture of Jesus as someone who connects with you, someone who understands you. And I think it's a good picture because that is who Jesus is. He came to this world and put on flesh. Philippians 2 says he humbled himself and walked as man, both fully God and fully man. And so he understands temptation. He understands difficulty and pain and, and struggle and loss. And so these he, these he Gets Us campaigns are showing these commercials so that you can know that this, this person, this God head, isn't just some distant creature that you cannot connect with, but yet Jesus knows you, and he gets you right where you are. In the middle of pain, in the middle of struggle, in the middle of loss, he gets us. And what they're doing in this campaign is they're looking to redefine and help you understand who Jesus is. And it's exactly what Jesus is doing for these disciples. See, these disciples had seen great things and yet still struggled to understand, as we talked about last week, they were sent away to take the, the proclamation of the kingdom of God to people with nothing, and yet God supplied everything they ever needed. And then when a problem arises, they go, well, let's just send these people away because we don't know how we're going to fix it. Instead of them going back to the source and saying, hey, Jesus, you've, you've supplied so much in the past. Could you do it again? See, there's a, there's a breakdown and misunderstanding between their head and their heart. And what Jesus is trying to get them to see is that he is here for both head and heart. He is here for them. He is everything they could ever desire. And he needs them to begin to understand and redefine who the Messiah is. And I think you need to do the same thing. I think I need to do the same thing sometimes. We need to ask ourselves the question. In Christmas time, when we say, who is Emmanuel, God with us? Who is Jesus to you? Who is this Messiah? Have we put him in some sort of a box where he really only works in these few ways? Have we really scoured through the Scriptures to see the character of God time and time again? Or have we just kind of done the verse of the day theology? You know what I'm saying? Where you just grab a verse here and there and go, man, I really hold on to this one truth. Maybe neglecting some of the other truths of who he is. Who is Jesus to you? 
See, if we only believe that God works in one way, or is only one type of being, then we've probably missed the fullness of his character. And if we've missed the fullness of his character, then what have we missed? We've missed him. And if perception is reality in the eye of the perceiver, what are we perceiving about God? And maybe another way to say it is, what are people perceiving about Jesus through your faith? Right? If your vision of God is bent, like the disciples' vision may have been a little bit bent. Right? They were expecting one thing, and Jesus has come to redefine something else. And so they were behaving one particular way. Do you see God like a genie? Do you see God like the one who maybe he's not really that active in your life? You're kind of in control of your life, but when you know, crap hits the fan, that's when we run to him. Or is he the one who's steady? Is he constant? Does he want to walk with you in the day in, day out? Does he care about your loss? Does he care about your triumphs? Who, who, I mean, who is Jesus to you? Is he someone that you want to converse with? When you read passages like pray without ceasing, is that just religious words? Or, or is that words that God is saying, hey, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to know you, and I want you to know me. Through your faith, what do you think people are perceiving about Jesus? If you were to write a sentence, Jesus came to be open space, what would you say? What would your actions say? So the first thing that Jesus comes to do with these disciples is he comes to realign and redefine who the Messiah is. The Son of Man came to do a lot of things, but He came to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and then to be killed and then be raised on the third day. And He wants to make sure that they know that because it's the key to unlocking what Jesus is going to talk about over and over again, abundant life, fruitful life, hope, joy, strength, peace, power. Without His sacrifice, we have no possible ability to attain these things. And you have to know that is who Jesus came to be. He came to be your sacrifice. So if he came to be that for you, what has he now called you to be? Jesus is going to redefine to them now what a follower is. So the first thing he came to do is redefine what a Messiah is. And now he's come to redefine how you follow him and what a follower is. The final verses, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Jesus is right here. He is clearly outlining a relationship with God. And what God requires from a relationship is He requires that person to do something similar to what He did. And that is to pour it all out. 
and to let it all go. I was watching a video the other day, and they talked about, hey, when, when we follow God, here are things that we have to do. And it talked about, you know, maybe cleaning your life up or, or putting some, some things in, in the right order in, in your space. And the, and the pastor goes, well, in some ways that's right, but here's really what we have to do. And I think I agree with this 100%. What you have to do is you have to let go. See, when we come to God, so, so oftentimes we come to him like this religion thing. We, we go, hey, man, I've got this if you've got that, right? And it's almost like this bartering system. And what Jesus has come to do is he has come to say, is, I have everything, you really had nothing, and I just want you to let go of this thought of nothing. You have a thought of everything, but you really have nothing. So just let it go so that you can receive everything. And that's what he's calling for you to do. In Christ, you have everything you could ever want, hope for, desire, yearn for. And outside of him, you have a lot of shimmer and shine and things in this world that will grab your attention and maybe just for a moment feel as if you are becoming something great or there is something filling you up. But the truth of the matter of it is, all of those things will fade. All of them will falter. None of them will give you what you need and what you truly desire for. He has called you to empty yourselves. He has called you to repent, to turn. And I know this is like a beautiful Christmas passage, right? This is one of those things when we wake up for a Christmas message, let's hear about all of these things. But here's the truth of the matter. That baby Jesus did come to give you this message. He came to give you a message that in the broken, dark places of your life, he wants to bring light. He wants to bring joy into despair. He, he wants to bring hope into hopelessness. He wants to bring life into death. And that happens when you acknowledge who he is. And when you feast your eyes on the grandeur of who Jesus is, then in that moment you can maybe begin to see what you are called to do and you are called to abandon everything in hopes for him. And this isn't like a worldly hope like, man, I... Kind of like last night, some of these teams are, I hope I win this game, right? When you hope in Jesus, it's a thing. It is going to happen. Your hope is concrete. It is resolute. And so when we hope for joy in the morning, what does his scripture say? It will come. Jesus is looking to redefine life for you today, here and now, wherever you are. He's looking to come and redefine goodness See, life isn't this thing that you just live. Life is something that you've been given through the blood of Jesus and can only be achieved through the recognition of your sin and your need for Jesus to save and then the acceptance of that truth. You've probably heard this saying, if you haven't loved, then you've never lived. And I think in some ways there's a truth to that that we can come back to the Bible. See, Scripture says time and time again that God is love. And when we enter into a relationship with Him, when we have this understanding with Him, we begin to experience love. And that, in that moment, is when we start to live. 
And when we live from a place of love, when we hear the words, take up your cross and follow me, keep in mind a cross in this moment of history, right? Like it is a punishment. It is a persecution. It is a bad thing. So he is not saying, take up your bundle of joy. Take up all the great things in your life and follow me. What is he saying? Take up your suffering. Take up all of the hardships and follow me. Because that is what is to come. There are moments of persecution in the Christ follower's life. Do not hear me say this morning that, oh man, as soon as you give your life to Jesus, life is going to be roses. It will not necessarily be so. Go back in history and watch these disciples. Did they live an amazing, abundant life of worldly abundance? No, they did not. But I bet if I could go back and ask them, was it worth it, they would 100% say yes. Because there was an inner peace. There was a hope. There was a faith that was filled. There was a purpose. If you're made for something and then you function in that something, what else could there be? Right? I mean, if you're made to do something and you function outside of the purpose you were made, is it ever going to be fulfilling? I mean, think about the tools in your life. You use a tool for something else and it might get the job done, but it never does it as best as the tool that was created for that job, does it? If you were created for something, why won't you function in it? Function the way that you were created. In Christ to repent and to turn from all of the things of this world and to say, Jesus, I'm running after you. This is what it means to shine. When Jesus comes as the light into the dark places, he has come to both, first and foremost, shine and reveal the truth that you're in need of a Savior. but then he's called you to recognize the need, repent, follow, and then tell others to live differently. To shine is to love God, to love people and invest in his kingdom. It's, it's to tithe faithfully. It's to serve regularly. It's to help the hurting. It's to speak for the voiceless. It's to give above and beyond. It's to share the good news. And to shine is to have a hope that gives light in the dark places. That's what you've been called to do. Not just this Christmas season. Not just when it gets hard. That's what you've been called to do. What would it look like if you began to ask yourself, what would taking up my cross and following Jesus in the everyday look like? What would it look like to maybe hold fast to this idea that my relationship with Jesus is based on truth and he's given me access to truth that will mold and shape my heart and my life to be formed into the image of his son. Some of, some of us have like hurts, habits, hangups, things that we just can't get rid of. We, we've, we've struggled with addiction. We've struggled with pain. We've struggled with being able to forgive. And we, we, we just, we can't. We, we've just found ourselves in this place almost like that Ebenezer Scrooge like shackles picture in A Christmas Carol, right? And you're going, yeah, I hear you. I hear all the great things about joy and freedom in Christ, but these chains are real. And I would just strongly, lovingly encourage you to look back to the chain breaker. 
to look at all of the stories of the people who came to Jesus with these same chains. The woman who bled for years and with just the touch of his garment was healed. The lepers who were healed. The people who had no food were healed. You could go to stories today of people who were broken and all of a sudden through the reconciliation, the redemption of the recognition of who Jesus is, their relationships are restored. Their marriages are brought from something that was completely and utterly desolate and gone to something that was flourishing. Jesus is not just some spiritual thought that will make you feel better. Jesus is a live and living God that wants to impact your life today. But here's what he's calling you to do, to let go and to come to him. And let him be the Messiah for you today. Will you make that decision? Today we have a special opportunity to take communion as a church. And I, I want to encourage you, if you don't know what communion is, uh, it, it's, a, it's a time where we remember Jesus. We gather around the Lord's table. So on the, uh, the day before he is going to be arrested and then proclaimed to be all the things that they deem him to be and then all ultimately be crucified, he has this feast with his disciples. And he's getting them ready to still understand what it means to be the Messiah because I think they're still not completely grasping this thing where he says, hey, I'm going to be sacrificed. And so he takes the bread and he said, this is, this is my body broken. Every time you take it, eat it and remember me. And then he takes the wine. And he begins to unpack this idea of the covenant. And a covenant is simply a promise, a, an understanding, an agreement. And so the old covenant was we had to make sacrifices for our sins to be atoned for, to be paid for, to be, so that we could be free. And Jesus says, hey, I've come to be that sacrifice, that sacrificial lamb. And in this wine, when you take it and drink it, you remember the covenant that I've made with you. And so this morning as we ask the question of, what is Jesus looking to redefine in your life? Is he the Messiah that he's been proclaimed to be? Or have you made him into something else? Are you the follower that he's called you to be? Or have you been doing something else? I want to call you to maybe remember the doctrinal and theological truths of who Jesus says he is. That he has come to give you new life. And anyone who comes and repents and believes can have it.